welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. October 11 is International Day of the Girl, and last week, Plan International released its annual report, State of the World's Girls, which is research on girls' rights. This year's report looks at the experiences of girls and young women in activism, the barriers and significant challenges they face as campaigners. Some of the key findings of the report include gender equality being the single most important issue for girl activists, with 60% of them naming gender equality or gender-based violence as a priority issue, and one in four, about 27% of girls, citing negative views from members of their family or community as another barrier to their campaigning work. On today's show, I'm joined by a panel of young women activists of colour who participated in Plan International's report. They are Yasmin Poole, and she co-authored the report. Yasmin is a youth advocate, activist, writer, and Plan International Australia ambassador and Rhodes scholar. Sarah Williams is a proud First Nations woman and survivor advocate against sexual assault. Sarah founded the online campaign, What Were You Wearing?, which went viral on TikTok this year. She also campaigns for First Nations justice. And finally, Grace Falconer, who last year was selected to participate in Plan International Australia's Youth Activist Series for 2022. Her campaign focus areas include gender justice and equality, and she has a particular interest in the Asia-Pacific region. The State of the World Girls Report um, is a study about the experiences of girl activists across the world. And um, I guess what's also significant about that is that uh, young co-researchers were part of this project. So we were able to speak to uh, three girl activists um, each and be able to kind of ask more in depth about their experiences. And um, I guess as just a high level summary, the results uh, found that one in five uh, girl activists fear for their safety when carrying out campaigning and advocacy work. But in terms of an Australian perspective, at least Um, So more than a third of respondents said that campaigning for their basic rights had taken a toll on their mental health. And this was actually higher than the global average, which was one in four. Um, And also 27% uh, of uh, Australian girl activists said that a barrier was fear for physical safety. So that was also higher than the global average of 21%. Um, So I think overall, you know, what the report is showing is Uh, Girl activists are passionate, driven, committed to the cause. For many, this is their life's work, but the barriers to carrying out that work is often social responses and the fear of physical harm um, and the mental harm that goes along with it. But despite that, young girls are still out here speaking up, whether it be climate change, sexual violence, period poverty, there are so many different causes that um, girls are standing up against and standing up against injustice. They're quite extraordinary statistics. Did the report offer an analysis of why this was the case? I guess from the Australian context, it was looking, uh, it kind of also was depending dependent on the girl activists. Something that I though heard from the young girls that I interviewed is at least on social media, for example, um, and this is, I think, particularly for young women of colour, the fear of the Australian public seeking retribution or putting these girls under a microscope. You know, I heard mentions of Yasmin Abdelmajid, 
as an example of that, and that has left a long-lasting effect. And I think the nature of Australian media cycles and the way that it has particularly targeted uh, young women speaking up, you know, I I can think of, you know, I mentioned Yasmin Al-Damajid, there's Brittany Higgins, Grace Tame, um, all of these things I think can can dissuade uh, girl activists from from speaking up. And then obviously when it comes to physical safety, I suppose it's putting yourself out there on the line saying, this is my opinion. And even when it's divisive, um, but I think maybe it's what we expect girls to be in the society, maybe it's like docile or, you know, just focusing on school and not actually going out of the bubble. So the minute that girls are standing up and speaking out, um, it could also provoke people to attempt to uh, silence them, which could also be threats of physical harm. I, and I can speak and we can go into this more, but, you know, I can speak to that firsthand. So um, it's the unfortunate reality of Australia that I think not much of us kind of talk about enough. Yeah. Yasmin, we'll come to your story in a moment. Grace, I wanted to go to you. Why don't you share what your uh, experiences have been like being a young woman activist and your experience of how easily it was to organise in, in the context of your organisation? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, my activism experience really only started last year. I think I just, you know, grew up and, you know, being raised where Julia Gillard or the comments, it really um, made me not want to work in this space because I was really fearful of the harm um, that I'd receive. And so I think that really deterred me. But after laying the job at plan, it was really empowering and I'd work with a lot of other girls and young women who had been in this space before and they sort of coached me and realised, you know, the World Economic Forum projects that 131 years it will take to achieve gender equality, which is far too long. And obviously there are a lot of other issues, um, you know, with First Nations at the moment, due to, you know, social justice. So, yeah, for my experience campaigning for greater representation, um, it was definitely difficult and with all the stats and report, it was quite a, a burn out. I felt burnt out. Um, there was a toll on like my mental health and everything. Fortunately, I haven't really experienced too much um, abuse online, but I think it is because I'm also private. And part of the reason is because I'm a bit, fearful of what I might receive and so I think at the moment I'm not as open as Yasmin and Sarah are but it's because of the the rates of tolls and um yeah criticism that you get on life just speaking out especially if you don't fit you know the status quo and from the background so I'm more focusing on like the mental health like it's extremely tiring like I've been working all day with advocacy to raise awareness of TB and staring at a screen on meetings, it's extremely exhausting. Um, so I can really resonate with the statistics in the report. Thanks so much, Grace. Sarah, I'm, I'm going to go to you, and I know that you said that a lot of the activism you focus on is sexual violence and, and violence. So we'll give you an opportunity to talk to that. But I also want to... Uh, extend that a little bit because where this interview is being recorded about one week out from a referendum vote which directly impacts you and your communities and, and your family um, and I wonder if activism in that space has also really taken its toll on you as a young woman a, a, a young First Nations woman. 
yeah, I guess to start with, um, obviously, the voice, the referendum. Um, yeah, you've def we've definitely seen quite a lot more um, racism. Um, you know, as much as there's all this, like, you know, I think on social media it's been painted as, like, oh, we're getting a voice, like, we're getting all this, like, amazing, great stuff. But with that has just come this whole another level wave of um, racism. I don't think I cop it as much. Oh, I definitely do not cop it as much as others um, as I, you know, I'm not the, like, I don't tradition, like, I don't look, like, you know, unless you know I'm Indigenous. But, yeah, our communities are facing it quite hard and I think as well it's hard because a lot of our communities don't know who to go to for help because they think if they're voting no they can't go to certain communities that are very out there yes or if they're voting like it's yeah it goes both ways so um yeah I think it's definitely been a tough time and I think you know there's on all platforms whether, whether in person and on social media there's been quite a lot of um racism on it um for me I've chosen to take myself and what we're wearing on a neutral path for it um because we do sexual violence services we want to be able to support everyone no matter if like mob if they're vote voting yes or no um and i don't want to be an organization where that will hinder them being able to come in and get help from our services it's been a tough one even on an organizational front as well um but yeah that's that i guess with the sexual violence advocacy um that's a whole I would probably say a whole different thing as, as well. Um, I started around two, three years ago and um, the a lot of our exhibition has been um, put on TikTok and gone quite viral on TikTok, which means that what has come from that has been online abuse and hate. And that, stem, that comes from things like body shaming, fat shaming, victim blaming, um, yeah, victim blaming definitely through the roof. So things like not believing people's stories um, or saying that or women lie. Um, a lot of the times when I've shared my story, um, people have said that I'm lying or I'm making it up or that false allegations happen all the time. Um, yeah, which hasn't been very, it hasn't been easy at all, um, being completely honest. And, you know, as much as you've got a strong yeah, shoulder I'm over very, time, that... Um, it does take a toll. Yasmin, you said you've got a, a direct and personal experience of the mental health and emotional toll that activism can take on you. Yeah, I started doing this around 2017. And for me, my work started through a Twitter account and it was me. Um, I remember it was the first day of uni. I was sitting in the kind of induction lecture. I probably should have been listening, but I, I made I sent out my first tweet and um, in the beginning, I think I was extremely, extremely cautious because um, I've seen the kind of online treatment that other activists have had to face. But slowly I started opening up and talking more about, you know, my perspectives as a young woman of colour. And, um, you know, it. this is where I think, and other activists were talking about this as well. It's like a lot of activism. You can do it in the physical space, but there's a lot of it in the kind of virtual online space. And um, even algorithmically, I found that the level of hate um, has has only worsened. Um, Instagram is a little bit is, is is better, but but you know, speaking of Twitter, it's um 
it, you know, for, as, as an example, I posted um, yesterday that I was voting yes and a seemingly innocuous kind of statement um, that received, you know, racial abuse and um, comments about my appearance and just like, I don't know, just uh, so many things. Or, if, you know, if I speak on TV, I've, I've had like, you know, sexual abuse threats and um, I don't know, just crazy things. And you know, in the moment you can say, uh, okay, this is somebody who, you know, is not very happy with their life. But, you know, when you receive it time and time again, it does take a toll. And, um, you know, a lot of girl activists, they're fighting around injustice, which is already something that um, can take a lot out of them uh, mentally and physically. So I think to also deal with um, the kind of the online hatred, it, it can it can be a lot. Um, it's something that I've kind of had to strengthen in my toolbox about how do, how do I deal with that. And a lot of young activists understandably step back and say, I can't do that. You know, this is too much. Um and at the same time, a lot of young activists stay because the work is just too important, but they have to deal with this. Um, so, yeah, I, I this is always this is always a risk for me, um, and it can be it can be very scary. I feel grateful to have a support network, um, but I, you know, it's it's only it's only worsened over time, and you know, not to be too depressing, but I think it only will continue to get worse. And that's the reality, particularly not just for girls, but um, young women of colour, is that the online scrutiny, and, you know, we talk about algorithms again, it, it's mixed with the level of bias, but also the fact that young women of colour often, um, you know, kind of shared to the audience that would typically engage with racist abuse uh, that wouldn't say the same to a white person or, you know, a white man wouldn't make the same kind of comment. So, um yeah, Let me ask, you yeah. pointed to this idea of having a toolbox of resilience tactics. Grace has already shared that one of her survival strategies is basically to be a little bit personal and to hold back and not give of her private life entirely. But I'm going to open up to the whole panel. What are your survival strategies when stuff like this comes up? I think for me, and this is something I've had to learn over time, and actually a moment where I'm, you know, experiencing it now, so I'm going to have to use my toolbox. Um, something that I do is my partner can check my social media for me. So, um, you know, he can, he has a great knack of making things just seem really light and a bit stupid. So he'll read the comments and it won't hurt as much because it's coming from him. Um, another thing that I do is, even as much as I want to support and amplify a cause, I listen to my body. So if I'm feeling emotional and that I can't leave it at the door, um, I'm like, it's okay, I can take a step back uh, because there are other brilliant activists who are doing good work and I'm of no use if I'm feeling burnt out and like I can't contribute. And the same goes for online. Hey, you know, if it's getting a bit much, I can step back, I can delete you know, the app, or I could just do some self-care that reminds me that, you know, I'm still Yasmin. I can do the activism part, but I still love and enjoy all the other things that uh, form part of my life that isn't activism related. So, um, you know, I think number one is listening to your body. Number two, just not doing it alone and reaching out to people who support and care for you and, um, you know, allowing them to, to support you. Great advice there. What about you, Grace? I really like um, Yasmin that you, you, with your partner that he checks the Instagram comments. I think that's a really great strategy. And honestly, I haven't really heard that before from the interviews or by anyone. So yeah, I think you definitely like implement that. Um, but I completely agree with 
you know, you, you can't do everything. And there are so many amazing activists. Like there are so many issues in the world and you'll just be incredibly burnt out if you, when you try and act on, you know, climate change or, you know, sexual reproductive, you know, health rights or I'm focusing on infectious diseases at the moment, gender equality. You just can't do everything. And so I think for me, I just have to think what I really believe in, what I'm passionate about, where I need to focus my energy on. And so I think that's why I really need to think about. I also have an incredible network as well, like with my boyfriend, with my family, really close friends that if needed, I can just discuss what I'm thinking at the moment, have a little rant needed because I think it's really important not to bottle everything up, especially when you're in this space because you're really putting everything out there. So you need that time to reflect. And yeah, as you said, I'm definitely more of a private person, more of an introvert as well. So I think having to advocate and express all your opinions about everything can be quite exhausting. So I definitely need to, you know, take that step back sometimes and just let everybody know that, you know, you know, today I'm fine. Like I really like fight for this particular issue. I can do more media that day, but then tomorrow I can't. And just be really open and frank with yourself and with everybody else. Thank you. And Sarah? I think it's still a learning curve for me. Um, and it's something that I'm always learning from other people. For me personally, um, I'll do a campaign um, and then I'll plan to go on a trip somewhere or try and go somewhere out in nature that's away from my, my home and where I'm doing the campaigning. Um, and I'll take usually four to five days after the campaign to pretty much just switch off my phone, everything, um, and just re-calibrate. Sort of um, so that's what I'll do after campaigning. Um, with online hate, to be completely honest, this I think I've just become numb to it. Um, I'll see the hate comments quite often. I'll see body shaming comments quite often. You know, that's not great. Um, but I do have, like, you know, I think it's really important. I always say that um, activists, it's really important that you have some sort of support system or you, you know, regularly go to counselling or psychology. So I regularly, once a week, um, go see a psychologist. Um, and even though some weeks I might not have things to talk about, I still go there and we will just... I'll just rant or we'll just talk about something. And I find it's it's so it's just such an important thing for me in my life because it's getting a lot of those things um off my chest that I might have bottled up from this online hate or even in-person hate. Um and yeah, I think that's the main ways that I do it. But I also have surrounded myself with a team. So with my advocacy, I didn't want to start it and go into it alone. So making the organization, I've got people in the organization. Um yeah, for all walks of life and we sort of just are all there for each other, um, which then, yeah, makes it all good. I'm going to ask you what kind of things can organisations do to make the environment more accessible to young women's activism? We need, it'd be, like I always say it'd be really awesome if there was some sort of support network or something for young girls and women activists, like no matter what sector you're coming from or fighting against that there's some place that you can come to to connect because I think group connection is so so important and so healing and I'm sure even if like and I always find it in spaces even if people are fighting for different issues we still go through the same things like we still have 
um, the same disbeliefs about ourselves or go through similar things, even though we're fighting completely different things. So I think some sort of way to be able to connect to others, um, yeah, would be really important. Um, and then the funding part is a really big one. It's really, really hard as a young person, especially a young girl, um, to continue advocacy and do what we need to do when we're not trusted with funding or money. It's been that's been a big, big struggle for me. Um, and to be able to sustain stuff and keep going, unfortunately, in this world, we do need money. Um, but because, yeah, I, for example, am only 22 years old, um, yeah, it's a lot harder. Just wanted to quickly add the findings of the report, which put forward recommendations. What the plan, what the report was calling for is, first of all, um, as Sarah was saying, increased support. So half of the respondents said the funding was a major barrier to their work. So that's number one. Um, quality education on gender equality, human rights and governance so that we can not only just build girls' understanding of that, but we can have a kind of social reorientation towards better understanding gender inequality and discrimination. And then also, um, as Grace was saying about girl activism, um, you know, continuing to funding, to, to expand on funding initiatives that build uh, girls' skills when it comes to activism. So whether it comes to campaigning or um, more practical things like, you know, writing an op-ed, these are all things that would really kind of benefit young generations of girls in the long run. So, uh, and then the final part is actually giving girls a consistent, uh, meaningful ability to contribute to the process. So not just on the margins, but actually being invited by uh, power holders and people in decision-making spaces to actually hear from young women and to consult them on things that matter to them, whether that be education, employment, sexual violence. There's so many examples, but we need consistent uh, input from girls. And that I think will help to change generations' mindsets about what could be possible because it's like, I know my friend or I know this girl that I look up to. She's out there smashing it. She's in government right now um, pushing for change. Maybe I can do that too. So let me ask you then, given everything you've all said, would you recommend being politically active to other young women out there? Yes, a thousand percent. Hell yeah. Grace, would you recommend it? I would, I would. I think it's such an important space and there's a lot of work to do and despite the structural barriers that exist and um, prevent, you know, many girls and young women activists campaigning, I think it's really um, important for us to use our voice as well. Um, but, you know, for anyone who's really interested in that space, you know, we have to be honest that it does come at a personal cost sometimes. It can be a struggle to keep going. But as long as, you know, you surround yourself with support networks um, and organisations that really support you um, and provide some safety, yeah, that's completely fine. Um, and for me, I think Plan International Australia has really helped because, as I said at the start of the interview, I really only started my activism journey last last year. I did when I was really little um, with Caritas Australia for climate change, but I'd say last year um, campaigning around gender equality was mainly with the support of plans. So, you know, if organisations did invest more um, in youth activism, especially for girls, women, um, of all diversity and people of colour, then that will be um, wonderful. So overall, yes, I would, but it's important to acknowledge that it's not an easy journey. Yasmin? Yeah, first of all, absolutely. Uh, this, you know, I, I always think it's, it's a life, you know, to to be outspoken about what you care about, it, this, is, this is life, right? This is the stuff that you look back and you say, 
know, I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't just kind of sit back and and, and decide that I didn't care. It was too hard. You know, I, I'm still going to care and I'm still going to pe- keep fighting even when it's difficult. Um, but, you know, as Grace was saying, there are definitely risks to consider. Um, but I would say find a find women and girls that you look up to and that are doing cool work because I feel, I find it really helps me to have a network of people who yes can experience the downsides but also a real source of inspiration and joy and you know hold that close and you know really look back at your experiences and think about because you know what I try to tell girls is that your experiences matter and they mean something and just because you might be 16 17 18 or whatever doesn't mean you can't contribute because girls perspectives are unique valuable and not heard enough in the political conversation so do look back at you know maybe some of the things that you've experienced and what didn't feel right what felt unfair and start with that uh really hold that um because you know, we don't hear enough from girls in the in the conversation. So I, th- I start with kind of truly valuing your own experiences and and um, also accepting that things can change and, you know, perhaps you can play a role in, in fighting for that. I will give you a chance to make final comments. Yasmin, looks like you want to say a final comment. I just want to say based on the timing of um, recording this, um, my thoughts are with Palestine right now. I'm thinking about uh, when we talk about physical and mental safety and thinking about women and girls in Gaza and the West Bank. And, um, you know, despite what I may experience in Australia, it's really nothing in comparison to what's going on there right now. So, you know, I I, I have to say that um, just based on the timing of everything. And, um, yeah, my, my thoughts are um, with Palestinian women and girls who, uh, who are fighting despite it all. Grace, any closing words from you? Thanks so much for sharing that, Yasmin, especially since... You came to plan a few weeks ago and told me about your experiences over there. So I'm really glad that um, you said those final words. That was a panel discussion with Yasmin Poole, Sarah Williams and Grace Falconer about Plan International's annual report looking at the world's girls, this year focusing on girls and young women's political activism. I'm going to post a link to the report on Accent of Women's podcast page, but otherwise go to Plan International Australia's website. And that's all we've got time for today. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally by the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kunjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.